are live, everybody. Welcome again to this week's Cafe Hangout. I am John Pollock, and off the top, I am going to ask Wei Ting, on a scale of 1 to 10, how sick of you, how sick of me are you at this point? Oh, come on, John. That's that's impossible. Listen, it's very possible. It's uh, absolutely possible. It, okay, you know what? You ask me this often, um... Sometimes I don't even really know how to answer, but I will say this year, I I think we've actually had less of each other than typical. Imagine if we were like in Tampa, staying with with each other, the rooming with each other for like an entire week. It's it's way more than I think what we're than we're, or way less than what we're used to. I think you and I found a groove though with our with our many uh, work related trips. I think the turning point. I'm going to take everybody back. I think it was Calgary in 2010. Because I remember uh, I was the primary driver for a lot of this. And my driving, I realized, was not at Way's standards. And there was a period <laughs> on that Calgary trip where there was, there was definitely a, a vibe that the two of us were just – we had been around each other nonstop doing this damn documentary. And I think after that, we started uh, – you know, a lot of times we ended up – when we would be on the road, we'd be in we'd be in the same room together. So it's it's not even like the end of the day we get to go our separate ways. But we got very good with like giving uh, social distancing. I mean, we were very much ahead of the curve on that. I think we're pretty much like you know we're built for this like type of isolation, you and I. And I think we quickly learned a lot about each other. The fact that um, we both certainly need our alone time, and. Um, you know, if you weren't that type of person, if you're somebody who constantly needed to be around like somebody else, or if I was somebody like that, I don't think we'd be as compatible as, you know, perhaps we are. I couldn't do the Braden Davey ordeal. Not, not an ordeal, but th- like they, <laughs> they live together. They work together. They are pretty much quarantined with one another at this time. And mm. I mean, God bless them. That would be very tough for me. I, I don't think you and I could live together. Well, I guess I wonder if you you ask either on on their on their worst day how how they would feel about the the setup and they might they might tell you differently themselves. But um nonetheless like I mean I I knew for sure actually once they started like especially doing the whole Patreon thing talking to each other as much as they would like I I I always feel like asking them checking in like are you guys sick of each other yet? Are you guys okay? <laughs> Have you guys tried to kill each other yet? Well, I guess in Davy's case, I mean unknowingly he 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 did try to commit arson. Uh <laughs> well, I, unknowingly. I, I mean, no I don't way. know if it was uh, necessarily uh, premeditated uh, because, uh, yes, they have had some close calls with, with one another. My my biggest change in my life was in university. I was I was living at, at a at a place with with uh, two other guys, and then once we graduated, we went our separate ways, and I moved to an apartment by myself, and it was my god. Once you go, once you go through that extreme, it's, I really enjoyed living with roommates, mm-hmm. but wasn't something I could go back to. No, I could see that. I could see that absolutely. Uh, although, like, there are certainly things I'm sure you miss about having a roommate. Oh, it's somebody around. I mean, I, I don't live alone. I live with my family, so obviously, uh, life circumstances uh, change and evolve. But yeah, I mean, in university, I had so much fun living with roommates as opposed to living on my own. So it was a it was a good time. You, you would uh, come by old 336 every now and then occasionally yeah you guys would have great parties we, we were we were big into these parties and um yeah fit, fitting a number of people into that small space that would be heavily frowned upon now 
It was a legendary space, which I don't even know if it doesn't even exist anymore. Is it even like the dormitory or like what, what is it? It is still there to my understanding, but it was, um, yeah, I, I think it is still there. Um, the amount of disease that must be like in those walls. I don't even want to think about, uh, I mean, it was, it was quite the, uh, it was quite the area, uh, to say, to say the least. Well, anyway, um, why don't we check in with our roommate right here, John, in the Post Wrestling Cafe. All of you guys, thank you for tuning in to the Cafe Hangout this week. Well, uh, it's kind of a bit of a special show because we have no guests, really. No even, like, you know, any any big agenda here. Like, we just want to open up the phone lines to talk to you. I won't lie. I think we have been... I'm always nervous about like these technical issues and stuff, and a guest just ups the the anxiety level. So I mm-hmm. kind of rely on sometimes shows like this. It's just like a, a peace of mind. Uh, Way and I, we I wish we had a way to just record like the last the five minutes before we went live on this show. And these are the things I just don't want to uh, throw in the added complication sometimes of a guest. But we do have several guests that have been on the site this week, so you can go check those out. Josh Gross, Jim Ross, along with all of our regular shows. Tiger Mask review is out. Rewind to Dynamite. Tiger King, stuff. Tiger King review. Oh, uh, yeah. Tiger Mask, unfortunately, getting no love during this, this entire uh, uh, issue. But Sayama, yes. in that documentary, I must have missed. <laughs> Satoru Sayama as Tiger King. <laughs> um, yeah, so we are going to open up the, uh, the Skype line. So Skype line. Look, up, look up post-wrestling and call in whatever subjects you would like to discuss. Off the top, I wanted to chat with you about NXT. Yes, and I have, I have heard almost no. I, I kind of avoided any kind of discussion about the match because I wanted to talk about it with you, fresh. And I thought I put this poll out today, and I thought you and I could do the real time poll. Okay. Oh yeah. So on on three, you're gonna either say loved it or hated it. And, and to and to clarify, I have to kind of pick one or the other. Yes. Like, which one yes. am I leaning more? We will towards? add context after, but your knee-jerk yeah. reaction, okay? So okay. we're both going to give our our poll result on three. Are you ready? I'm ready. One, one two, two, three. three. Hated, Hated it. it. Thank you. Okay, we're we're in concert <laughs> then. I watched this thing, and as first of all, I watched this after the fact, and it takes up pretty much the entire second hour of the show. It's done uh, very much in a different style than a, than a match, but this was much closer to a traditional wrestling match than we would have the Boneyard match and especially the Firefly Funhouse. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine watching this where we are having this dramatic fight, commercial break, and suddenly we're getting ads for Arby's and, hey, Cialis, here is your information, and then back to this. There were... Like four commercials probably throughout this entire thing that I think it would be an even more of a struggle had I been watching this live and sitting through it. It to me was in su- such close proximity to Edge and Randy Orton that I didn't think it differentiated itself enough. And what I've also found is what I'm going to call the new blade job. And that is using other techniques to get the same kind of reaction from people, that being looking down at my hands at the pain I'm about to inflict on my friend um, tears that are about to come out as well. Mm -hmm. And I just thought for all of this, 
to lead up to the ending here. And I know I'm really dumping on this, and I'm not meaning to just completely dismiss this from start to finish, and we can talk about other positives, but what got me at the end was Candice LeRae appears, kicks Johnny Gargano low, and then disappears, and we think that Tommaso Ciampa is going to end things when Candice LeRae returns and kicks Tommaso Ciampa low and leads to Johnny Gargano hitting the fairy tale ending and pinning Ciampa, to which he then reveals the jockstrap. And I was almost ready for them literally to show a flashback scene to the start of this fight at the beginning of the night where Candice LeRae so clearly gives him this, this covered object. Look, everybody, look at this. It's going to be very important. And then at the end, uh, we get this. I just thought it was an extreme ask of the audience. And I think that there is like a proliferation of this now at this point. So those are all my negatives out of the way uh, first, but I, I do look forward to your opinion too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I echo a lot of your sentiment. Uh, I, I mean, I think yeah, the, the things we saw this weekend in particular edge versus Randy Orton did this match no favors and who knows what the, what the production of it was, what, what the planning stages of it, of it were before, you know, that the sour taste of, I would say that match was still on a lot of our, our, uh, our, our lips um it was i think a lot more closer to edge versus randy orton than say you know the boneyard match in that it was still very much a straight up match just presented with slightly different cameras you know this was not a match that necessarily played with i would say the concept of of time you know at least not in the way um for instance the boneyard match did or excuse me or especially the um uh, Firefly Funhouse, of course. You know, you didn't any get any sort of like double replays. Like from from all accounts, it was still trying to show up, uh, show you the. Excuse me, I'm just trying to man man the boards here. Yeah, it, it, it you know it the, the only kind of like playing with time that it really did do was the the um commercial breaks where you would mm-hmm. come back from commercial breaks and the guys would be in the same place. So it did not really try to hide the fact that this was not live. This was not trying to replicate sport. Um. But it went on for too long. The same problems that I think a lot of people had with Edge versus Randy Orton, you know, this 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 came with as well. And um, it, it it was certainly I think a bit more dynamic than Edge versus Randy Orton. They had more carefully planned spots. Um, they were fighting in, eh, you know, there were there were there, I felt like there was more meaning attached to like you know every single second as opposed to Edge versus Randy Orton, which. It felt a lot more meandering, but nonetheless, this had that same feeling to me, um, especially when you look at how long it went. It was a match that simply I thought went way too long, and I don't know if we would be having these same criticisms had they had they gone fifteen, had they gone even twenty. Yeah, it just seems that it, but by the end of this one, it almost feels like the difference between a guy going out there and just cutting a great promo off the top of his head versus a structured promo that we have seen the massive difference between. Like, this felt like this is our construction of a big dramatic story down to every little detail that will be mapped out, that we will have the close-ups of Johnny Gargano putting his hand onto Tommaso Ciampa. And it just felt to me, and it's funny because Ric Flair just did an interview this week talking about the famous, I'm sorry, I love you moment that he maintains was... Nothing that was planned ahead of time. That was an audible by Sean just before the finish. And I think that really grabbed people. And what works so much is that in that very moment, that could be an extremely cheesy line and it could be 
cringeworthy, but it wasn't because everyone was sucked into the drama of that match, what it really meant for Ric Flair's career at the time. And it was almost like this, this beautiful end to the sentence to this, this match. And that represents his career, at least at the time. And when you try and take a moment like that and create your own drama, that, that is inherently a risk. And I think that's where some of the criticism comes with Gargano Ciampa is that there is just too much construction of these dramatic moments that the organic nature of them sometimes is lost. And you're, you're not going to get that natural reaction when it's sort of being beaten over your head, like what you are supposed to be feeling as they're trying to emote all of their feelings here that they want you to buy into. We wouldn't be, you know, like suggesting that criticism if that attempt at creating drama worked out. Like I think it has many times in the past with their matches. And, you know, it's interesting how Sean is a part of this conversation because I'm, I have, I, I think, uh, from what we know, I think he has a big hand in, uh, a lot of the, the matches that we've seen, uh, as a part of this feud. And I wouldn't doubt that he had a big hand even in crafting a match such as this. And, you know, everything that they were doing here to me took directly from that same playbook that I think Sean used so effectively towards his second run, especially, you know, most famously in that Ric Flair match. Um, I think you can, you know, certainly say it's it's made a lot of these matches better. It's worked a whole lot, but to me, it it certainly felt in this particular match like it was another overused tactic. Much like how you know Brock Lesnar or Goldberg matches going two to three minutes was very successful the first couple times it, it occurred, but then after the fact, uh, you know, after doing it repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly, it I think we're ready for something different and something new. And at the end, I'm just asking why. Why didn't Candace just kick Tommaso Ciampa to begin with? Have you ever well, been kicked? Have you ever been kicked in the balls with a cup on? I've never. That worn sucks. A, I've never worn a cup actually. Well, I've never. I've. I've never taken a field goal down there while wearing a cup. But mm. I will say, I've watched enough fights to know to, to know that this was uh, hardly the pro wrestling definition that you wear a cup and you're impervious to pain. And by the end of it, I was just like, okay, we got it. The cup was the the special uh, present from Candace at the beginning of this whole thing. Um, they turn Candace. I guess the jury is out if if that will be because Candace is just such a perfect baby face, but remains to be seen. We haven't seen where this this goes. One positive uh, I will add here: I really like the very subtle appearance of Killer Cross and Scarlet Bordeaux in the car afterward that you have to really be paying attention because they do not hit you over the head that that's that's there but that was a little extra at the end and that to me opens up a lot of things because how was the location of this the time and the place that Hunter had outlined was I will text you the time and the place and hmm. here is Killer Cross is this guy in cahoots with Triple H how did he know where they were going to be and I really like kind of the story that they're slowly introducing with Killer Cross, who already was introduced at the end of that segment in the ring to set up this match and is clearly going to be a major player in NXT following this. Well, he hasn't, he hasn't exactly had any influence in, in, in the match yet, but are we to assume that there might be some sort of scene that we'll see after this match next week where he will probably have some interaction with Tommaso Ciampa? I think, you ha I think he has to be tied to this in, in some form. Yeah, like given yeah. given the way they you know he interrupted the segment between them two weeks ago and then was present here and the obvious question like how did he know when this was going to going down? Yeah, I, I mean, how do you even get into 
full sail at this point in time. I'm sure it's a closed set. Uh, well, th- this was the PC, wasn't it? Well, are you sure? I, I-, I thought, I'm I thought not it sure. might have been full sail, but uh, you could be right. It just seemed um, like an empty auditorium. Well, um, beyond that, we also had the, the ladder match with Io Shirai uh, winning. Uh, I really enjoyed this this ladder match and the effort from all six. And it wasn't even a match that dawned on me, and, but it did the second she grabbed this briefcase. And the idea of Charlotte Flair and Io Shirai, I really think that like that's a big match. Mm-hmm. And I, I I almost hope that it's not just thrown away during this. Like That could be a really great match. And I, I would really like to see that. Maybe there's no... There's no need to rush to do that that title match. She could hold on to this briefcase for some time and eventually cash it in. But I think that match could be outstanding and also opens up like there are with with Charlotte Flair as, as champion. Like it does set up some interesting matches. But I would say Io Shirai, this should be her unofficial slash official babyface turn where she can now work with a heel Candice LeRae. She can work with Charlotte. She can work with. A lot of the women, and I think she can be one of the featured baby faces along with Rhea Ripley as kind of your two big female baby faces on the roster. But I, I love the idea of Charlotte and Io Shirai. I hope that is the match eventually. I, I would have to think so, you know, and I think ideally we would love to see it in front of a full audience. But unfortunately, at this point, I don't think anybody knows when that will be. And, but nonetheless, they do need these sort of TV main events for them to build towards. And I think... That is certainly one of the most, if not maybe the most attractive match you can currently make among the women's division. Um, so I I think, you know, I, I, I like the idea of Charlotte being mixed with, you know, the, all the top women currently of the uh, NXT women's division. I, I think Io Shirai rests exactly at the top of that list. Uh, I, I enjoyed that ladder match a lot. Uh, you know, I, I thought it was full of action, full of, I think, very satisfying, big, creative falls um, that... Definitely looked like they hurt a whole lot, but... Um, oh, that one Tegan Knox took at the yeah. end to take her out? Oh, my God. Even the one Candace took at the end, like, right on her back, that, that you know, right on the ladder, draped across the, the corner, that looked right. insane to me. Um, I thought it was... I thought Morrow did a gr- really good job, I think. You know, I think Morrow's commentary style typically, like, mm, feels, you know, like it, 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 it can be a one-man show occasionally anyway. Uh, but so I thought it, it perfectly translated here where I never got a sense that, you know, there was any lull. Um, I felt like the energy was always there and I definitely had a, a, a good helping of uh, pop culture um, references as well. Did you catch how he opened the show? Uh, what was it? The, uh, the the cats and what was yes. the line? Cats and chicks. Cats and chicks. Yes. Uh-huh. Of course. Well, he's probably had a, a lot of them all stored up for for this release. It's been a few weeks since we have we have heard from Morrow. So yeah, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed the ladder match, and that to me, you know, we talk about matches going too long. I thought they were the right length, and um, yeah, had my attention throughout. I thought it was, and I really liked, you know, the decision to to go with Io Shirai. I would sort of like them to take sort of the the Lucha Underground approach that instead of treating this briefcase as like a money in the bank, it's the idea that you have to announce in advance that you're cashing it in, and. That, that that can be somewhat that differentiates this from Money in the Bank, but also doesn't force you to have to uh, go to this match in two weeks, for instance. I think you could you could hold on this for some time. Like there's there's breathing room, I think, that you could exercise. The struggle right now for any of these shows is to come up with destinations, you know, without any sort of pay-per-view looming in the background. I, I mean, 
unless you know of course they could they the, the we we could assume WWE will be building towards money in the bank and at some point we can assume NXT will be building towards another TV version takeover but um they they need big matches at the very least to build up towards and I think this certainly fits the bill and with them taping like a lot of NXT th- this coming weekend I mean that could be something that they they build towards I mean that that is one thing that you look at like with all of these tapings is it does force the company to um like they have to stick to whatever plans they have. I mean, mm-hmm. that's if if you have if you're mapping out so many weeks in advance, it's not like you can change course midway through a program. You have to see it all through, and that will make for to me better week to week programming. You would hope. It's how NXT used to be shot. Yeah, right. And there was no complaint about it either. That oh, this is taped. It's to me that was never a big issue at all. Um, nor nor does NXT have kind of that kind of the erratic nature that we have seen at times on the on the main roster where you might see things dropped or they just completely go in a different direction it's you know nxt you do kind of get more of that consistency uh throughout so any other thoughts from nxt it really was the the two matches along with uh uh malcolm bivens new new team uh destroying uh scott parker and matt martell yeah ever rise ever rise yes yes yes. um you know i mean that that team to me feels like i would say at this point a pretty typical wwe you know power duo um along the 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 lines of aop or chase parker or the bludgeon brothers thank you john i'm sure (laughs) some guy out there was was really wanted the names of the ever rise guys mentioned properly Uh, but i not much to say about that at this point they to me they're they seemed a, a little bit generic um, we'll have to see, you know, what sort of what sort of uh, new, uh, uh, you know, uh, wrinkle to the act somebody like a Malcolm Bivens can can bring to it. Um, but beyond that, honestly, not that not that much notable on the rest of the show, and there didn't really need to be because this was a two match show. All right, we're going to open it up to you if you have any thoughts on either AEW or NXT from Wednesday night, as well as any other topics that are going out. If you want to chat. Uh, mixed martial arts, the UFC's plans to go ahead. Um, all of that is open. It is open topics uh, for the rest of the show. And then we'll be getting to the ratings when they are coming out uh, probably within the next hour for AEW and NXT. We'll see because this was an NXT that had a, a lot more interest, I would say, than, than most weeks over the past month or so. Let's go to our first caller. I believe your name is Rabble. If you wouldn't mind just unmuting yourself, Rabble, we will take your phone call and whatever thoughts you might have as part of the conversation on the cafe hangout. So if you can hear this caller, please unmute yourself within the Skype window. And hello, we, can you hear me? We can hear yeah. you. Hi, hi, John and Wayne. It's Colm is my name, actually. Colm, um, hi. Yes, how are you? It's a pleasure to chat to you because I normally only get to hear the cafe hangouts after uh, after they've been recorded. Well, but, welcome. Um, uh, Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa. It was rough viewing, wasn't it? Um, I, I'm not sure about the future of cinematic matches in WWE, or at least the frequency with which we've had them over the course of the last couple of days. I, I, I think I fall more in line with you, Way, uh, with regards the uh, Firefly Funhouse match. I think... I, I think this method 
of uh, of delivering wrestling matches. It works because it's so silly. I think is uh, the Firefly Funhouse works better with it rather than I don't know something like the Gargano Champa or even I I'm more in the negative camp when it comes to the Boneyard match as well. But I don't know. Do you do you see it? Say post COVID nineteen. Do you, do you see them doing this as much as they have done, at least over the last couple of days? I, I personally uh, do not. I think, you know, what you're saying right now is, is more um, because more, more so, I think, because they see that these empty arena matches aren't up to standard or at least they're, they're definitely missing something. And I think, you know, things like the Boneyard match and more so, especially this one, uh, Gargano Ciampa, I feel like was, was their way of trying to, uh, you know, like have an hour long match that didn't feel like it was just taking place in an empty arena, like, you know, the ladder match, for instance, because I'm sure if, if, if that's what you saw instead, you would have gotten exactly edge versus Randy Orton, which I, I think they, they were smart to avoid. Um, to me, you know, the more I think about it, the more the problem I had with this particular match isn't really so much the way it was shot, but more so the length that, that I think it, it, it you know, it, it took and, and maybe, you know, if you want to pick further at it, some of the overdramatic elements that were attached. Um, I think no matter what the scenario, I feel like we've come to realize perhaps a 30 minute time limit is going to be a little too much um, unless it was, you know, like that entertaining. Um, how long was, was the the Boneyard match, John? Do you remember? It was over tw- 20 minutes or so. Right. You know, and that was like consistently entertaining because I feel like they've always they always had something um, to to maintain your interest, uh, some sort of like new, weird like thing. You know, whether it be like the Undertaker suddenly shooting powers or uh, a you know a big spot. This was a match Gargano and Ciampa that I felt like was kind of missing that fun, missing you know just the 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 I don't know the the wackiness um, perhaps to maintain that that length of time. This is again where I feel like this this match had a lot more in common with Edge and Norton than you know either of the matches we saw at WrestleMania, the, the and, cinematic and, matches. And like Edge and Norton, like I both these matches, like I started like where I, I'm engaged in this. I'm not sitting down dreading watching any of this. Like I go in always with like the open mind that I hope this is very good. And with both, it was almost the exact same moment in the match where it was about I, I would say for me around 16, 17 minutes in for both of them that I kind of hit that wall. And that's funny because that's probably around the length that the undertaker AJ one was, was wrapping up. And, you know, there's something to be said, like once you pass that, that certain mark and we've got no commentary on this and it's, it was also like done in this style, Gargano Champa, that it was, it was almost like just doing it to be different. That was that was the reason for it. Whereas the Boneyard match, it, it could not be done in any other version than that. The same with the Funhouse, the same with the Ultimate Deletion, um, all of the Matt Hardy stuff. In this one, like I I applaud the idea to think out of the box, present matches differently. But I don't know if it made. I don't know if I would have had much of a difference if this had been done the exact same, normal production wise than what mm-hmm. they did here, other than to present something different artistically. Thank you very much, Colin, for the call. Uh, unless you you have any any further thoughts. Well, one unrelated, slightly thought, and I, I I've been racking my head about this, and I'm glad that I can chat to two North Americans today, and hopefully they can 
clear things up for me. But AEW from the off, like even you spoke about it on Rewind to Dynamite about the rankings and that uh, that um, whatever it was sixty second clip of Excalibur. It gave the wins and losses which they they were banging on about at the start. It, it kind of gave them a bit a bit of weight when it comes to um, yeah the, the rankings. But I think AEW isn't using draws enough uh, because Cody, what was it? Cody and Darby drew, and I'm not sure what it went down in the record books when Jungle Boy and uh, Chris Jericho, when Jungle Boy went the 10 minutes with Chris Jericho, I don't know, was that a, is that down as a draw officially as well? Um, but it, like, uh, I, I don't know, maybe it's because over here, the biggest sport would be football or soccer. So you can have draws in that. That is a thing that happens and it's not like people freak out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but in American sports, like, please correct me if I'm wrong, but in basketball, a draw will lead to overtime. Uh, American football, the same, I think. Uh, I don't know I would, what else. I, I does, say, does, ice, does ice hockey? Yes. Yeah, no. Yes. I mean, I would say like even in MMA, you know, like uh, I, I I think the... The pressure to not score around a ten ten round it, it, it very much exists, and, and I would definitely say that's you know I, I never really thought about it as something as you know uh, exclusive to perhaps like North American sports. Like the the only reason I mention it is because the Ironman match between Kenny and Pac, uh, one of the best matches of this year, I think most people would agree. But the end of it, it soured a little bit for me when you. Uh, when you set the precedent, which I thought they were very good with Cody and Derby to say that draws can happen here. However, with the Ironman match, ends in a draw, and then uh, you have the referee uh, taking it to overtime, or, or was it Justin Roberts announced, or whatever happened, I can't remember. But it basically went to overtime to get a decisive winner. And I, I just thought it was... Like, I, I don't know if we'll ever see draws again, and, you know, if we don't, whatever, it's not a big deal. But... It just feels like it is another um, another finish that AEW could use if they wanted to. That isn't a, I don't know, a, a, a trite DQ finish that we've seen in, in WWE, which at least they haven't done. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, just, I, I think it's a finish that they could utilize more. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for the call, Colin. Uh, please call Robin, back. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate it. Uh, yeah, John, any thoughts on that? No, I mean it's it's a finish that you can can utilize uh, when necessary, but I also don't think you overdo it either. So, um, you know, it's you know AEW has been pretty strict on wins and losses, so I, I don't I don't really have as much of an issue with how they're uh, going about uh, matches. But draws that they've used them before, I'm sure we will see them again. But I think sparingly as well. I don't think you want to get into the habit of of doing them too often either. We go to right now. Jack, who's on the line. Jack, if you wouldn't mind unmuting yourself, we will take your phone call. Huh, I don't know why it says uh, Jack, but this is uh, Corey from Long Island. How's it going? I'm sorry about that. Okay. Oh, no, Corey, it's all good. How you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Um, so I did want to uh, put put another uh, put another one in the hat for um, for the uh, cinema matches that happened uh over the weekend um Cinematic. and hmm. <laughs> yeah and so i um i uh four again I, uh so four very very much four 
that being said, it's hard for me at after a certain point, like you, the final deletion happened and then tag team apocalypto happened. And what was it, the great war or whatever? And then you had uh, all the stuff that came before this weekend. I think we have enough content or enough like predecessors to all of this where I finally get to the point where I'm not only comparing it to its predecessors, I'm just comparing it to like movies at this point. Um, and I realize that that is maybe a bit unfair to the WWE or to AEW or to impact uh, who, you know, they don't make, well, I mean, in the WWE's case, yeah, they do make movies technically, but um <laughs> They, yes, movies, quote unquote, uh, but they they don't have the robust cinematic background that, you know, a lot of like directors do like film directors. But when I look at something like um, the Boneyard match, I'm seeing it. It's basically Roadhouse. Like I'm watching Roadhouse and I, I got into it. I actually really did because it really played to the strengths of like. No, early 1990s late 1980s tough guy cinema and mm -hmm. it played to its strengths almost to like a, a parody degree like over accentuating all of like the parts about it that made it like fun to watch and i couldn't help but enjoy it conversely um i was actually not that much of a fan of the firefly funhouse less from a conceptual point of view i thought that it was great conceptually from an execution point of view i thought it was aiming for 2013's under the skin and got somewhere closer to david cronenberg's existence at its worst and and i'm realizing i'm maybe throwing out a bunch of references that might yeah, be flying I have, over i some haven't people. seen any any of those movies but <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, Under the Skin, one of the greatest movies ever distributed by A24. Highly recommended. Scarlett Johansson's best role ever, hands down. But um, I, I'm when you when you create what touts itself to be psychological cinema, I am immediately going to compare it to other movies that kind of dive into that. Like, yeah. Yes, I'm going to compare the Firefly Funhouse to Memento. Is that mm. fair? No, absolutely not. But it, it, the the mental link is there because suddenly you're presenting itself. It, it's presenting itself as cinema, and I think one, yes, unfair on my part. But two, I think it raises the standards in which they have to present these things at, because. The other reason why I liked the the Boneyard match more than uh, more than the Funhouse match was just the production values. Mm -hmm. I think that the production values in the Firefly Funhouse, if they experimented more with the visual effects at play, if they experimented more with different shots, because for the most part, it didn't really have a lot of variety in that. And I think that it could have benefited so well from like a robust production just like getting really experimental with its cinematography and which i think is going to be the backbone of all of these um mm -hmm. and yeah right no the, uh, some some very good points um you know i will say i i don't know what sort of crew i think you know um 
something like the Firefly Funhouse might have had to work with. Um, and I, I do feel... Oh, give me one second here. I do feel like when it comes to, you know, um, something like, like that's already so out there, like the Firefly Funhouse, um, I think to to add anything more to it might have made it even more difficult for them to, like, you know, put it to production to get it past, I think, you know, um, just all the loopholes that I, ha- I would have, have had to imagine that they had to go through to present that the way that it was presented anyway. But, you know, like, going back to what you're saying about comparing, like, being forced, kind of like, if, if WWE is going to tread in this territory, they are kind of forcing these comparisons to, you know, actual... Um, high like actual movies that are that are being released and i completely understand um i i guess i i don't feel that same pressure because when i watch raw if i see you know a backstage segment like this otis and mandy segment um i i i don't create it on the standard of you know a great like you know romantic comedy that that i would see in a theater i kind of created on this on the basis of like wwe romantic comedies that they've produced and ultimately you know it comes down to whether or not the audience is into it and um when i watch pro wrestling i don't really judge the acting on the same level that i would judge you know an oscar an oscar nominee or anything like that and i i you know is that us having as wrestling fans lower standards for things like this perhaps perhaps um at the same time Professional wrestling offers things that, you know, Hollywood movie doesn't. Um, and that's, you know, something that will ultimately result in, like, live stunt work, essentially, in front of an audience. And that's obviously different with, for this Firefly Funhouse thing. But what it what the Firefly Funhouse did for me was gave me sort of like a mini movie based off of wrestling lore. In particular, the wrestling lore of this character that we've been through, we've, we've, we've lived with for the past 20 years in John Cena that... Um, I, you know, I don't think we wouldn't necessarily get in a, in a full movie form. If we did eventually that, that would be something very impressive and very different, but Hulk Hogan enters the Firefly Funhouse. Dude, that'd be amazing. So you imagine that? Yeah. Yeah. So like, if you're going to tell me that you're going to get that, but it's not going to look as good as, you know, like Inception, I, I, I'm okay with it because I'm used to wrestling, not looking that great and i'm used to professional wrestling not you know consisting of the best acting ability um it, it's just not not what i need necessarily guys i don't know if you've looked at hulk hogan's uh instagram right now but it's its own psychological thriller oh i'll bet i'll it's, certainly bet it, it it's it's uh yeah I'm, I'm not gonna even touch that one uh but before i go there there was actually one other thing that's that's kind of connected to the cinematic movie uh, matches uh, tangent, and that was involved the uh, Gargano, Champa, and uh, the uh, the Edge Orton uh, like no DQ. It's more of a match than it is more of a film uh, format, and um, and that's that's just simply uh, the amount of stimulus a viewer is given. Like, yes, they have the visual stimulus of watching these two guys grunt and throw each other and do whatever it is in front of you, but I think the thing that gets everyone over the hump and are able to look at these cinematic matches and be more engaged is the added production values of things like background music and um, Mm -hmm. just just all the little extra window dressing around it that 
if you're watching in a traditional wrestling format, which is wrestlers, um, you know, fighting and commentary, and one of those things is lacking, your your audience is going to uh, d- disengage. You know, that's that's just what's going to happen. It happened with me uh, with the Edge and Orton match, and I, I didn't even watch NXT last night. Uh, I didn't I didn't even bother. And the second someone told me that it was Edge Orton style, I'm glad I made my decision. But it doesn't surprise me that people would disconnect from something that is, you know, lacking a fundamental aspect of the, you know, television viewing experience Mm -hmm. at least for a traditional wrestling match and i'll just leave you guys with a quote from my foundational uh media uh theory class from university and that is a marshall McLuhan quote quote it is the foundational quote behind the entire uh course Uh, and that is the medium is the message and uh, i'll leave you guys with that have a good one thank you Corey. thank you Corey. great call appreciate it the medium is the message sean Yep. Remember that. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's keep going with uh, with. Co- let's go to Steve Kassan here. Uh, I'm mean, very interested to talk to Steve. Actually, Steve Kassan, longtime listener, uh, somebody who works in the film industry, and in fact is uh, has uh, is is one of the uh, participants of the Dark Side of the Ring uh, production. So, Steve, how you doing? Nice to talk to you. Hey, all you cool cats and kins. How's it going? <laughs> We're doing great. <laughs> Gee- my gosh, I didn't know what to expect. Follow up from film Twitter just just uh, popped up. Jeez. Oh uh, no, I love I love this conversation. It's talking wonderful. about under the skin and existence, I thought like enemy was gonna come in now. Like I can see John's faces. Like he's really interested in all this too. Right? <laughs> What's on your mind, Steve? Oh uh, no, actually, I, I just wanted to. Like, it's funny that it had to be something like this for me to actually be at home and actually want to like talk to you guys, and because I never get to because I'm at work and. I usually listen um, the day after, so it's a uh, it's pretty neat. It's pretty it's pretty all right, and uh, just want to say um, uh, way great uh, analysis and breakdown of the Firefly Hana Funhouse and John awesome uh, awesome interview with Jim Ross as again and thank you guys for all the work you do and and everything. You know, I've been listening to you guys since since the law and all that. So well, thank you, Steve. I, I'm actually kind of curious, you know, from your perspective, how, how, how you felt about some of these matches that we've talked about, you know, whether it be the, the Firefly Funhouse or the Gargano Champa, like what is your take on, on these types of cinematic matches? I will say, uh, I haven't seen Gargano Champa, but I did hear what you guys have to say. With these types of matches where editing is involved, mm-hmm. I think, um, well, the thing about like the Boneyard match is that I mean, like, watching that preview of Taker's uh, upcoming doc, and he says, like, he does a match, then he has surgeries after. If you can give him something where it can limit the amount of risk for a guy like him, then it's having the use of editing. That works, right? Because, yeah, you do want to see this guy, you you don't want to see The Undertaker, like, have a match or have, quote-unquote, a match or have a performance, have a segment at WrestleMania or something like that, if you can work it where it, it's not taxing on his body, then this kind of works. And it's usually a fight. The thing about it is that when you watch matches, there is editing involved, right? Because you go to cuts, you go to a wide cut, you go to a close-up, you, whoever's in charge of it. 
And the thing about sports is that it is already cinematic. And the best example I can give is uh, Kawhi's uh, shot Raptors Bucks, right? Game mm-hmm. seven. Mm-hmm. That is an entirely cinematic moment. The bounces and everything. You just have that wide shot. Everyone's waiting and waiting. And also with wrestling, wrestling is cinematic as well. If when you do it really well, Shawn yes. Michaels, Ric Flair, that is cinematic. Hell, even Edge and Orton. I, in a way, the last shot, you see Edge standing up and Orton down by his feet. That's mm-hmm. pretty cinematic, right? So mm-hmm. you can have real drama. Like cinema comes in as trying to achieve what real drama gives you. So, so what? So what? So what is your opinion of of you know? I guess um, when they try to match, let's say uh, the beats in in, in a match um, with, I would say the technical um, requirements. Uh, you know, like like shooting it in a different way. Does it does it make a difference for you? Or are you saying wrestling itself shouldn't yeah, need wrestling, that? Well, wrestling itself, it's in the TV medium, and already it gives you a platform to make it cinematic as you want. Hell, you can watch all, uh, what was it, AAA matches and even all New Japan matches. The way they cut back to have to show the entire stadium, the entire crowd, that's something. Because all those, when you watch cinema, like you get a grand scope of, uh, you get a grand feeling of scope when you cut to a wide and you see everything. It's like, wow, this is like something big, right? So now, and but given can, the given the limitations that they have without an audience... Do you think yeah. shooting their <clears throat> matches this way it, it, it will be, mm. you know, is a way to hide it effectively? The, uh, the thing about it is that it's, it's in a way to hide it, but you still want to present a sports match. You still want to present something like a sport, right? In a way. Mm-hmm. But all these cinematic matches, like, okay, we've go back to Firefly Funhouse and even Final Deletion, what Matt Hardy does. That only works with a certain characters. It can't work. I've yet to see this Gargano Champa match and. I just want to see how it works. Maybe it should have worked the same way the Edge Orton match did. I don't, I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. Which but didn't again, work. It goes, yeah. yeah. Again, it only goes to certain characters. Mm-hmm. And even with the Fly of Firefly Funhouse, like you mentioned the thing like about Hogan going into the Firefly Funhouse. Like, didn't they sort of do that when he went into the Dungeon of Doom? Like all these like segments and everything. Like it was hokey. It was cartoony. But it was kind of like practically the same idea. And the Firefly Funhouse, that match wasn't as cinematic as you might think. Like, the ideas were present as to give mm-hmm. a, like, entire story and analysis of this character. Actually, a deconstruction of John Cena. That's what it is. And if you go back to those Dungeon of Doom segments, which they are, those are segments, it pretty much is like the Dungeon of Doom deconstructing this whole Hulk Hogan character to where it breaks him down. That's if you want to go further and further into it. But at the end of the day, it only works for certain characters. So mm-hmm. uh, in utilizing editing and making these quote-unquote cinematic matches, like, you know, for the time being, you got to do what you got to do. But at the end of the day, when you present an actual live sporting match and when the crowds are allowed to get back in, it's that, it's that drama right there. It's that, and that alone is cinematic. That's what movies are trying to, trying to do. Before I let you go, uh, Steve, um, I just wanted to ask you quickly because I know you're involved with the production of the Dark Side of the Ring uh, as part of, uh, you know, the the reenactment. And uh, I guess I just wanted to, you know, while we have you on the line, maybe if you wouldn't mind talking a bit about that experience and what you've seen of the show thus far. It's uh, I will say that filming, like being a wrestling fan, obviously, 
mm-hmm. filming these segments, like I'm in, um, well, I think all of season two, I'm, I play certain different characters like here and there. And I'm definitely in the, uh, the Owen Hart, uh, episode. Mm-hmm. I play one of the EMTs that rush into the ring when Owen, Owen falls. Mm-hmm. And it's all, um, it's all very surreal considering that we're reenacting these, these moments in life and in death and watching it put all together. It's like, I'm more watching the episodes. I'm more interested in the story. They say, because it's all about the people being interviewed and telling their side of the story. And I think from what I've seen with the snooker thing, that's going to be a, it's going to be really interesting. But mm-hmm. uh, on the day filming it, it's, I know we were, we're there to work and everything, but in the back of our minds, back of my mind, I would say I, it was really surreal. And it was, just, it was, it was interesting, especially like in the Benoit thing. Uh, if you notice in episode one, I played a cop where you see this, uh, when Daniel, no, 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 David is telling the story where one of the RCMP officers are telling him, oh, his dad died and his family died. And we shot that reenactment, and I played a cop who had to tell the child actor who's playing David that his son, his son died. So we watched the interview to get the idea of like what's going on. Mm-hmm. And when shooting it, it's it's a uh, it's a surreal feeling. It's it's weird because you're reenact again, as I said, you're reenacting actual events. So filming that part and doing all these things there. If you're into wrestling, it'll be surreal. But there were a couple of people there who were interestingly new about the stories. They're just doing their job. Mm-hmm. So, but watching it put all together, yeah, I kind of lose all of that and get more engrossed into the story, more engrossed into the episode, and kind of deviate from when I was there actually. And and the thing about it is that like when we shot it, like I totally understand everything, like. Um, with the reenactments, it was to give like this theater approach to it, almost like this surreal theater approach and have all this neon lighting and everything. And it was when we, the Bruiser Brody was the pilot and I kind of got an idea of like what it was. Is it good? Because that's what wrestling is in a way. It's live theater, right? Sport, live sporting theater. And that was the idea put into it. Thank you very much for the call, Steve. We uh, hope to talk to you again uh, very shortly. All right, let's try to get through some of these other calls. Uh, do, do Skype in, everybody, at Post Wrestling. Up next, please unmute your microphone, Brandon from New Jersey. What's going on? <laughs> Hello? I can hear you. Oh, I'm just cool, going to let you go. Yeah, the floor <laughs> is yours. Thank you. Um, I, I was just curious. Uh, I, I know the UFC is uh, going to... Uh, uh, what, what what's that reservation they're gonna be in, in California? Uh, Tachi Palace. Yeah, Tachi. Uh, I was wondering after this is all said and done, like when we finally are free of the pandemic, will there be repercussions with commissions against the UFC trying to operate in these reservations and whatnot? What do you what do you think about that? No, I don't think there's going to be. Uh, the Association of Boxing Commissions actually just uh, gave a statement earlier today to MMAFighting.com that they will 
list these events as being sanctioned. So it doesn't appear that there would be any repercussions um, for fighters that participate, for officials that are part of these shows, whether they be in Lemoore, California, or on this island as well. So it doesn't appear that that will be the case. And it's it's kind of interesting to see where where other commissions fall after you know the the ABC puts that out there. And are there going to be commissions that are more open-minded towards opening up fights within their state. Um, no, we're not aware of any at this point. The California State Athletic Commission is, you know, they had uh, ruled out any combat sports events through at least the end of May. We know Nevada is kind of not not issuing any any licenses at the moment either, but those would be uh, two of the major commissions to watch and see if there is any, any change in course. But in terms of uh, repercussions, I don't believe so, no. That's crazy, right? Man. Like I, th- I think Brandon, like, I think it's very split among people that I'm, I'm somewhat surprised that there are, are that many that are, you know, kind of, you know, open-minded to this happening. Um, I have a lot of concerns about it. It's, um, not something I think is all uh, like the wisest move at the moment, but I, at the very worst, I only represent half the argument. And if not, I might be in the minority. I can't get up for any of these fights, especially with what's going on in the world. I mean, I know Dom Cruz is fighting Cejudo, and that 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 would have been big news if if this pandemic didn't exist. But I'm I, I I'm not feeling it right now. Um, yeah, a few um, related notes um, for UFC 249. Rose Nama is out of that card where she was going to have her rematch against Jessica Andrade, and just now. Um, Ariel Hawani received a statement from her manager and Rose Nami Yunus had two family members that have recently passed away due to the coronavirus. And that is why she is off of the card. So, I mean, this is, you know, it's the kind of example that it really hits home of how this is affecting fighters. And that's why she is not going to be fighting on April the 18th against Jessica Andrade as well for UFC 250, which is the next pay-per-view May 9th. uh, There are now seven Brazilian fighters, including Jose Aldo, that are off that card because all of the consulates are closed now in Brazil and they cannot obtain visas because they were going to be fighting in Brazil. Now this will be in the U.S. So Jose Aldo is off the card. Uh, Ketlin Vieira is off the card. Mauricio Shogun Hua and Antonio Rogério Nogueira are off the card. And yeah, to Brandon's point, uh, Combate is reporting that there is at least a verbal agreement from Dominic Cruz to step in, although that fight is not official as of this recording. Um, at least it has not been officially announced yet uh, for Henry Cejudo to fight Dominic Cruz, but that seems to be one option that they have. So, yeah, that's some of the latest involving um, the UFC news. Yeah, it makes you makes you feel proud of, of what Bellator is doing and canceling all their fights and whatnot. They, they, uh, Scott Cook are showing a lot of character with, with doing that. I know they're going to lose a lot of money, but he gets my respect for what they're doing. I'm not like what Dana White, that ghoul, is doing. He's just... Uh, he's just acting like a megalomaniac with, all, with what he's doing right now. It's 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 unconscionable. Uh, that's all I got. I'm out of here. Peace. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks as always for the call. Let's go to Jared. Jared, you're on the line right now. What's on your mind? Hey guys, how's it going? Hey man, doing well. Hey, uh, first off, uh, you know, great job on all the different podcasts and shows this week. Uh, John, your interviews and you guys' coverage of WrestleMania and everything. It's been a great week to be a patron. Oh, thank, thank you very so much. much. Thank you. Uh, I I really enjoyed the uh, the Tiger King document um, review. 
uh, I like the uh, the Donald Trump and Hillary comparison, John. Uh, another uh, another comparison, though. Uh, Jim Cornette is Joe Exotic, and Vince Russo is Carol Baskin. <laughs> yes, I guess uh, the, this the the feud was renewed this week on a uh, dark side of the rank. I guess there's a. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to your guys' review tomorrow. Have you have you already watched the episode? Or I yes. have. Yes. Yeah, we'll so, chat about that that Friday night. So, um, yeah, we will we'll chat about more brawl for all then. But if you've seen the episode, feel free to share any of your thoughts on it. Yeah. So one of the things that kind of came up to me watching the episode is just like, why were Jim Cornette and Jim Ross so sure that uh, Steve Williams would be a big deal? Like in that era of the WWF, I, I don't know that. Like, why was it such a sure thing that? You know, he could be a star with Steve Austin. I don't know if it was so much the the sure thing that he would be, you know, um, a main event level draw or anything like that. I think it was more so the idea that he would have been the favorite in this style of tournament, given his wrestling background, but not taking into account as well the the injuries this guy has been through surviving that that all Japan schedule and, and style that. Um, you know, Dr. Death, Steve Williams, if you are to place him, you know, if into one of these mythical tournaments is someone that would at least have the pedigree that you would be leaning on to at least be a favorite. So I think that was sort of more so the positioning of Dr. Death. But um, coming out of it, I mean, it's it's a crapshoot to say if it would have been a successful program or not. But I mean, the company was so hot at that time that it would be pretty difficult for a heel in that role to not do great business with Steve Austin. Yeah, because uh, like a lot of Cornette's anger seemed to come from the fact that he thought that like Vince Russo ruined a friend's career, basically, right? So I was just uh, not knowing too much about Doctor Death. That was just kind of something that stuck out to me from the episode. That you know, why was it seen as such a such a surefire thing? But well, I um, mean, I, I think yeah, it, was, it was a tournament that definitely affected Doctor Death, at least it, of his his WWF run. Uh, to to Vince Russo's defense. I mean, he did hire Dr. Death when he got to WCW. Uh, now, you can question the the role he was placed in, and it was a pretty tasteless angle with Ed Ferrara uh, making fun of Jim Ross. But uh, when Russo did get to WCW, it was like he did hire that guy for, for a period of time as well. Yeah, and then uh, I guess the other thing I was just calling about is, um, you know, one thing watching uh, WrestleMania that really stuck out to me was uh, feeling really bad for Drew McIntyre to have that win be in an empty arena because you know he's not a guy that uh is necessarily going to get that opportunity again right like there's no there's nothing to say that he's definitely going to be uh in the main event of wrestlemania any other year so um that kind of got me to thinking like what do you think they can do to maximize kind of crowd reactions when they when they do get back to arena shows um like i, I think that uh aew would they always have hot crowds for the most part so it's less concern there but with wwe like a lot of times they, um, you know, they've got some pretty dead crowds, but I think when shows return, especially to the States, like people are going to be so excited to just be out and watching live, you know, live sports, uh, live theater, whatever. Like, I think that's a really good, uh, there's a really big opportunity there for them to kind of maximize that and, uh, you know, get crowd reactions, get some really hot crowd reactions. And just what do you think they need to do to kind of maximize that? Thank you, Jared. Um, you know, first of all, I, I think, you know, the, one of the big problems is we don't exactly know when that point in time is. You know, we don't know when the crowd crowds will return. But uh, at the same time, um, you know, the, I, I don't think they, they want to wait 
to to that point in order to execute this this Drew McIntyre plan. Who knows what Brock Lesnar's status might be anyway? Well, you know, I I think this it's it's the same thing that I would have suggested had this taken place in front of a crowd, and that's to make Drew continue to look like this incredible badass by putting him up against these like very stacked odds in the form of not necessarily Brock Lesnar, but another heel threat on the level of a Brock Lesnar. And you just continue to have this guy beat everybody. You know, you build up a heel like it's traditional pro wrestling. I feel like they've done a great job, you know, before everything was kind of derailed of like promoting this guy as like just a hero, especially in, in a hero against, you know, somebody as big and threatening as a Brock Lesnar for the first time in, in a long time, he was somebody that you, you could buy, and the audience was certainly taken to him. So I think you know his success going forward depends on the level of opponents that he'll be placed in front of and how they book him. And from all accounts, it seems like they're they're really willing to book him strong. I think Drew's in a really good spot at the moment, like a very good spot as coming out. Now the the chase is over. He's got the title. I mean, the guy, I, I think he is actually, just seeing all the interviews that he's been doing, he just comes across so well in the media. Um, I don't know mm-hmm. if people have seen the, the clip of him and Heath Slater on the bump, but there's a, just, just a great moment between those two. Um, I'm sure you will see the, that clip. But um, yeah, I, I think that he's, it's to be determined once they come back, but I think they're they're all in on Drew McIntyre, and they should be. I think he was... A great choice to be this person going into mania and feels like a big star at the moment. And um, yeah, it's it's going to be contingent as well on what is what is the next program for him? Because there isn't that obvious person on Raw. Maybe you're looking at a Seth Rollins to just build him back up again for a title program with Drew. Maybe that's where you go. But it's hmm. kind of up for grabs of who that heel is going to be. Uh, we are waiting on the NXT number, AEW did 692,000 viewers. So it was just slightly above last week's uh, viewership average. So once we get an NXT number, we will relay that over. 692 for AEW. Uh, do you have a demo? Do not right now, but right. Uh, stand by. Okay, cool. Um, we are going to open the phone lines for a little bit longer until we get some of those ratings. If people want to call back in, again, you can Skype us at post wrestling. On Skype. Um, yeah. So, you know, John, um, SmackDown tomorrow. What are you expecting right now? Oh, um, they did make some announcements about what is going to be happening tomorrow. They did put out they're doing a rematch between Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross against the Kabuki Warriors. Uh, so that will be one segment, uh, at least, or one match happening on SmackDown. These are going to be uh, the, the Friday is the start of the, this marathon taping schedule that is going to cover several weeks uh, of programming. Um, maybe as much as the Ron SmackDowns leading into uh, money in the bank. It seems that um, I've heard that from, from several people. Uh, I think that might be the only, and Braun Strowman appearing on the show. That's all they've announced so far for Friday's uh, SmackDown. Uh, and from what we know, it will probably be live. You think? So there, were, yeah, I had heard that thrown around that Friday's SmackDown and this Monday's Raw. There's a chance they, those shows could be live. I don't know mm-hmm. if that is a hundred percent though, but that I, I did hear that that mentioned as a possibility. Okay. All right. Let's go to another. What, what, what are you looking in terms of? Because these shows, I think, should indicate at least the next Raw and the next SmackDown of. 
Like you're either planning to go ahead with money in the bank or is there a contingency? Like you've got to, if you're doing them, you've got to set up all of that stuff. And it was interesting to watch that Sunday during WrestleMania, they were, they promoted it several times. And I don't know if I even heard them advertise it Monday night unless I missed it. But um, there, there's no sign they're not doing money in the bank. But just, I mean, that's going to have to be made pretty clear because you've got to do all the all the, the setup for it. What's the date of money in the bank if they were to do it? May 10th. So we're a month away. Oh, man, that's a lot of TV. Like we're that's talking. Five, that's including tomorrow, five Smackdowns and four Raws. Four Raws. Before, before Money in the Bank. You would think that they'll probably do, you know, the Raw after Money in the Bank as well if they're going to do all these tapings, right? So that's, man, that's a lot of hours of television to have to shoot plus a pay-per-view. Um, at the same time, what choice do they have, right? You know, you're taking the risk of flying everybody in for uh, for these matches anyway. And I imagine if everybody's going to go through the trouble of being there, they're going to try to build up towards that pillar of money in the bank before they can just, you know, spend the rest of the month editing, uh, maybe creating extra content to fill that time just so that they could rest. Um, I, I can see them doing that. Um, they did advertise money in the bank. They didn't say exactly too much about it, uh, about what was going to be on the show, but they did advertise on the pay-per-view that this was going to take place. So no, I, I, assu- I assume it's happening and everything. It's, um, it's just a case of like, when, that, that'll be the next one. It's like, when are you going to tape Money in the Bank? And mm. yeah, I've just, and an issue that's not really being raised all that much is how are they getting around the, the, the stay-at-home order in Florida? Is it a case that the WWE is just like, they are considered like they're getting a pass and that they are viewed as important to whether it be the state of Florida or the city that they are willing to uh, bypass WWE that they can go ahead and record these shows. Well, what's the punishment if they were to get caught? Well, that's it way. It's, you know, we're, we're seeing like, there are measures in place. There is, uh, there are recommendations, but everyone is going to police these things differently. I mean, I know, you know, you know, here where where we live, there's like there's been an issue with with people that are are violating certain you know social distancing measures and going into areas that have been taped off, and they've they've flirted with the idea of fines being introduced. But uh, realistically, if you're a company like WWE, it's are are they considered that we're just we're not we're not enforcing this? And what does enforcing mean? What does that even entail? You know, of course, this also goes for AEW uh, and Impact and really any other company that, that is choosing to create content right now, right? Uh, yeah, Impact's, Impact's going ahead in Nashville with, with an mm-hmm. em- empty studio shows for two months worth of shows that they uh, are in the process of taping as well. So are others going to follow? Like that to me is at least looking in the wrestling and MMA space, how many other companies are going to remain uh with suspended operations versus looking at this and saying, Hey, we're just going to venture out and do this. It certainly feels like it's a bit of a, I don't even really want to call it a gray area, but it really, cause it really isn't. But you know, I, I think people are taking the lead from AEW and WWE and seeing that they, these guys aren't necessarily being punished. They're, they're doing these things in undisclosed places and getting away with it and producing content and making money at this point in time. And I feel like there are going to be plenty of places that will continue to do that if they have the means until they get forced to not be able to do it. Let's go to one more phone call here as we await the ratings. Neil, our man, what's on your mind? Hey, hey, Way. Hey, John. Hey, man. 
Um, yes, I've got a non-wrestling, non-MMA question for both of you this week. Um, a bit like Brandon from New Jersey, I've become somewhat fascinated with Ontario and with Toronto and, Gen- and specifically, you know, just from listening to you guys over the years. So I've learned about O'Grady's Bar. I've learned about, um, I know there's a cinema in Whitby that you didn't go to, John, that time because it was too far to drive. Um when you were on the radio way last week, there was mm-hmm. an advert for the Riverwood Conservancy in Mississauga. So these are all places I'm fascinated with. I have no with. idea and, what that is. Well, it, it sounds fabulous. You can have a heart-healthy walk there, apparently. Um, so these are places maybe I'll go and visit sometime when all of this is over. But um, at the beginning, <laughs> this is all a setup for a really ridiculous question. Um at the beginning of what probably seems like a decade ago to you guys, uh, when you were doing Rewind Away last week on mm-hmm. World War Three, uh, you were talking about uh, the Raptors playing in the Sky Dome and how horrible it was because you know of all of and and it sort of went on into a discussion of Toronto in general, Toronto in those days, etc. And John, you um, jokingly said. Um, What's your favourite street in Toronto? And it was it was it was unanswered. So I want to know what is your favourite street in Toronto and why? John, <laughs> Degrassi. <laughs> oh, is that? Have you actually been to Degrassi Street? There's really not not that much there. Is there? It's just it's just a street. It's there's nothing special about it. Does yeah. it exist? Oh yeah, it's a real it's a real street. Real school. Really, I never knew that because it was uh, the kids of Degrassi Street was a sh- was shown over here. Um, okay, as sort of as a kind of in an after school slot. Yeah, so I I, I assumed it was fictional. Um, and way, yeah. Uh, <laughs> my favorite street in Toronto. Um, you know, I I I used to be a big fan of of uh, Queen West. Um, West Queen West is cool, but. These days, I love being at home, dude. Like, I I don't really... I'm such a homebody that uh, I can't really say I have a favorite street. You know, Young Street. Young Street's pretty great. It's pretty legendary. Neil. I don't know if you know this, John, but it's... Or, or, or Neil, but um, it is the longest street in the world. Is that right? I don't know. That's what they, that's what they say. Um... All right. Well, thank you, Neil. As always, take care. So uh, we do have the ratings, John, don't we? Yes. Kind of. Uh, no, we do. The best one of all time. Okay. Is it? Have you seen them yet? I have seen them. Um, I well, I've seen one of them. I don't know if you have the other one. Do you? Okay. I do have both here. Okay. Oh, okay. So please. This is an interesting one. Um, so. We said that AEW did 692,000 viewers, and they did a .26 in the 18 to 49. So uh-huh. 692,000 viewers, yeah. NXT did 693,000 viewers with a .19 in the 18 to 49 demographic. Oh. So NXT beat them by 1,000 viewers, but um, – AEW significantly ahead, well, significantly, 0.07 ahead in the 18 to 49 demo. 
I am simply tweeting this out and I'm going to make some popcorn after for the comments. Um, because I think it's been, everyone needs some uh, crazy ratings uh, reaction. And that's what I think my Twitter will be for the next several hours. Yeah. Uh, so, so what do you take from this? Okay. Like NXT can certainly claim a victory, but um, AEW can also claim the victory because of the, uh, the, the prime demo. I mean, really, at, the, the prime demo is how you rank things. So, exactly. I mean, technically, AEW, if you want, I mean, it's such a silly argument, are you? Like, who, who wins what? Um, but uh, over the, this slight of a margin. But anyway. Um, well, technically, AEW didn't even rank in the top 50. If we're talking. Uh, NX, NXT finished 51st. 51st. Overall. So barely just out of the, the top yeah. 50. And AEW finished 32nd. Mm -hmm. so all right i love it i love it john and we look forward to seeing your timeline and your further analysis about everything that's been going on thank you oh, wait 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 poll, poll result before we go oh, that'll be the yes. final thing here i did my love it or hate it for gargano and champa and the results have i mean way way voted hated it and the official results on my twitter okay here we go 666 votes 51% hated it, 49 loved it. Divisive, divisive as ever, and I think that's that's what's sparking all this conversation. We appreciate it, everybody. Thank you to everybody who called in. Uh, I loved, actually, a lot of the longer formats of the, of the phone calls. Um, thank you to the people in the chat room, very active as usual. You can join us every single week at 3 o'clock on Thursday if you're a cafe patron. Uh, just go to postwrestlingcafe.com and you can find the link every single thursday any other words john before we go that's it we'll be back friday night rewind to smackdown check that out all of our great shows coming out this week including thunderstruck on sunday with wait Wei ting joining the great wh park that's it goodbye <laughs>